Amen, amen, amen. Good morning, shalom to you. My name is Pastor Lucius Raza IV. I'm one of the pastors here. Excited to serve you this morning. This morning already started off, for me, a morning of ministry. I picked up my goddaughter this morning from Indiana. She was visiting. She had to go take care of some business back home in Indiana. She came back this morning, and immediately the ministry started. Thank God I was already prayed up and ready. Find myself just ministering to her. I was going to bring her here because I didn't have time to go back home. But as things were just flowing, I felt in the spirit like, now I'll go ahead and drive her home. But I began to hold her hand in the car as I listened to her heart being poured out of her struggles. As I would say with, with light and darkness, her struggle with holding on and letting go, her struggle was seeing God clearly because the enemy had such a veil on the eyes that what was abnormal seemed normal to her. And I began to pray as she was talking. And as she was talking, I started realizing more and more how important prayer is. And I began to see how more and more how selfish and prideful I can be when it comes to praying for my brothers and sisters. And as I dropped off at home, me and my wife tagged team. I let her know, yo, we on our way. She grabbed a ticket in the house, so y'all got to bounce. But I began to pray and warn the spirit again. Why am I talking about this? Because I believe today we're going to talk about, and God wants us to embrace, prayer being a great exchange. She kept talking about what she wanted to receive from God. I need this. I need this. I've been asking God for this. But I said, baby girl, as I heard from the Spirit, what have you exchanged? What have you given up to receive? I said, baby girl, you keep coming at God with your hands like this, but he wants you to open your hands so he can fill them. What are you seeking to exchange or give up for him? Martin Luther King Jr. said something so dope about prayer. He said, to be a Christian Without prayer, is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Luke 18, 1 attests to this. It says, now he told them a parable uh, on the need for them to pray always. On the need for them to pray always and not give up. I can't think of a time in my life, and I'm sure you can, to where we didn't need to pray. Even if I think about it, as I think about the first Day of this Black History Month, February, in case you don't know, it's a Black History Month. It's only 28 days, but amen, we're grateful. We're grateful, amen. But on the very first day, bomb threats were sent to over a dozen HBCU schools, bringing chaos and panic and, and fear to all like the, 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 those the faculties and the students. Prayer is needed. As we look on social media and we see the talks of war in the Ukraine and we see attacks on, a, on camps of displaced people in Congo. And as we look at the death of Amir Locke and we look at still this COVID crisis and we just deal with the everyday struggles that go on with the sin nature that we live with on a daily basis. We are reminded that prayer is needed. What is prayer? Well, first of all, why do we need prayer? Let me go there first. I was reminded of that as we sung the song, Into the Marvelous Light. I'm running out of darkness, out of shame. 
Why do we need prayer before we even define what it is? We need prayer because there's a reality taking place that we keep forgetting about every time we wake up. Is that there's a darkness out there. There's an evilness out there. There's an enemy out there. And he won't stop completing his agenda, which is to distort the word of God and to lead you away from your creator. So you'll never regain a relationship he sent his son to down the cross for for you, a relationship with him. So when we think about prayer, prayer is individual, it's corporate. Today we're going to talk about corporate prayer. Prayer is also universally known as what? As a, as a dialogue with a higher deity or a higher power. But us, we know who we're praying to, right? We pray to Yahweh. But there's a universal known that prayer is a celebrating and a crying out to a higher power. Prayer is ongoing. It's continual. It's not just, just for an event or for a circumstance, but it's continual. It's hourly. It's daily. It's always. Prayer is a weapon. Prayer is a weapon in warfare. We're in the spiritual warfare, saints, every single day of our lives. Prayer is that weapon in warfare. Prayer is also the power of mission. For prayer breeds compassion to those who are on mission. Prayer is also a display of love. For when you intercede for someone, you're, becoming, you're placing yourself in a place where you're living with an outward focus and you're pushing yourself to the side to make sure somebody receives the need and the help and the healing and the peace that they need in their lives at that moment. That is a display of love. But also we must know that prayer is much more than what we sing before we eat our meals or what we do before we have a concert or a conference. Prayer is more than what's up, God, or I need this, God, or, or God, I want that, God. But prayer is engagement. Prayer is an experience. Prayer is an exchange. What do I mean by prayer being an exchange? And it should be on the screen. The word for prayer that we're going to deal with today is called, it's called pros yukamai. Pros yukamai, which means this. Pros means towards, face towards, or exchange. Yukamai means to wish, to pray. So properly, this word means to exchange wishes, literally means to interact with the Lord by switching your ideas, your feelings, your perspectives for his. So prayer is an intimate interaction between mankind and Yahweh for the exchanging of what we know, want, and have for what Yahweh knows, wants, and has as he gives us faith to believe that he will give it to us. Prayer is an exchange. And I never looked at it like that until I studied this text. And I felt the Spirit's like, yo, look, no, just don't move over prayer. Look up that word. And that word talks about an exchange that's supposed to take place as we posture ourselves towards God. The problem with this exchange, what I get to notice about myself, and I'm just going to say about myself, I don't want none of y'all to feel shameful. But I've noticed sometimes I don't want to exchange the thing that I need to be exchanging. God say, give up these particular things that you learn from the world. I hold on to them sometimes. God say, give up that person for this season. I hold on to them because I think I know better. God say, don't do it like that. Don't say it like this. And I continue to find a way to wrestle and not exchange or give up my wishes, my perspectives, my thoughts for his. That's what prayer is. It's an exchange. And in our text today, as we dive into Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13, 
we're going to understand and see more clearly this exchange. So if you could turn with me to Luke chapter 11. I'm sure you should be there because we read it earlier. Luke chapter 11 verses 1 through 13. But it's a few things I want to hit. One, I want to talk about three essentials, three essential elements to prayer. One, there's three essential elements to prayer that I'm going to learn in this text. I'm going to disclose to you in this text. It's God-fearing, that we need a God-fearing posture. Two, that we need a God-centered petitions. And three, that we need to be God-believing. We need to have God-believing persistence. So I'm going to say it again. Three essential elements to prayer we're going to learn about today is that, one, we need to have a God-fearing posture. We need to have God-centered petitions. And we need to have God-believing persistence. So we dive in chapter 1, chapter 11, verses 1. It starts off like this. He says, no, he is our father. And he's going to start off just like this. As I turn to it, I start reading the wrong thing. I'm like, that is not the scripture. Amen. Right there. But he said, as he was praying, he said, as he was praying, the disciples came up to him. And the disciple asked him, he said, teach us how to pray like John the Baptist taught his disciples. And as we pause there and think about it, like Luke mentions prayer about five times in Luke. Mentioned about Jesus just praying five times. Look, so you see these disciples, they're sitting there watching Yeshua, and he's been praying. Yeshua has the best prayer life you can ever see in anybody. So I can imagine them looking at his life, the life of Jesus, and his prayer life, and they're seeing the fruits of his prayer life. So they come to him and say, yo, 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 like father, like, no, like, like teacher, teacher, teach us. He said, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples. And what they're saying is not, don't teach us the same content. They're not saying teach us the same way. What they're saying is the same way, man, John teaches his disciples about everything. We want you to teach us about prayer. So then Jesus says this. He said, well, then you, when you pray, you say this. And what he means when he says say this, he's meaning verbatim. And this is not new to the people of God. Just like the Shema, the Shema was repeated verbatim. God is known for giving us what to say verbatim. So he says this, Father, hallowed be your name. Now one, as we think about having a God-fearing posture, we must first approach God in prayer, acknowledging who he is. He is not the Father or a Father or the Father in the Trinity. He is our Father if you're a believer. And if you approach your father like I do, I approach my father with reverence. I don't care how old I am. I'm not going to go in my father's house at 45 years old, those he's uh, late 60s, and say whatever I want to say. I'm going to say, no, father, how, how you doing? You good? You all right? Because if I come in and not say anything, he's going to say, yo, you want to come out and I say hello? There's a certain reverence that I have for my own earthly father. So see here, he calls them to have the same reverence. He say, man, father, hallowed be your name, meaning, meaning, father, your name be honored as holy. Your name be honored as holy, meaning your name, your name, your Hashem, your character, your attributes, who you are, your itness, your isness need to be deemed as something that is not like nothing else. Your quality, your power is far beyond everything else. You deserve to be deemed honorable and, 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 and reverence because of your holiness. He says, Abba, your name, your personhood deserves to be honored. For you are resplendent, magnificent, and majestic God. So when we think about a God-fearing posture, we see first start off worship. This is worship. This is praise. How many times do you go into the presence of God and you just start talking? 
Oh, Father God, I need to do that. He said, no, no, no. When you go and you talk to the Father, you start off reverencing him and honoring him for who he is. And sometimes we forget about the holiness of God, so we don't come to him as a holy God. Jesus gives us a pattern of how to pray. Notice the first and foremost, this teaching that he's talking about is corporate. He's not just saying, yo, uh, disciple, this is how you pray. He said, no, 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 no. This is how you all should pray. All should say this. And then he dives into it and says this, Father, holy be your name, hallowed be your name, or your name deserves to be reverenced. And he said, your kingdom come. Meaning, Father, may you come and take government over my heart and over my life and over the lives and hearts of those around us so things around us can change. And as I talk about prayer being a great exchange, what he's doing here is saying, Father, man, listen, man, you're holy, right? You're, you do things different. You're sacred. Like, Lord God, come and your kingdom come as we exchange this kingdom we've been connected to for your kingdom, as we exchange our ways for your ways. And he don't say it here in Luke, but other synoptic gods, he said, your will be done. So he said, kingdom come, your will be done. When you're going to God and you talk about his kingdom coming, you're saying, Father, when I govern my heart, I don't govern my heart well. I don't govern my emotions well. So I need you to come and take governing. I need you to govern my heart, set your kingdom in my heart so then the land around me can change. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The great exchange. Then he goes and he says, also say this. Give us these day our daily bread. Now, as you notice, we first talked about a God-fearing posture. Now it goes into having a God-centered petitions. Our petitions in prayer should be upward and outward, not always inward. Our petitions in prayer should be God-centered. And when it's God-centered, it's always upward and it's always outward. But a lot of times we come to prayer and we say, God, I need, I need, I need, I need, knowing this person needs something much more than we do. But he says this. So as we go into this, God, God uh, sent their petitions. He said, your kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. What is he saying? He's saying, yo, give us every day, each day that we live, you be the resource of our physical needs. And I believe also our spiritual needs. Every day I pray this verbatim, and I say, God, give me what I need. I need whatever healing I may need for my body, whatever healing my, uh, my, uh, my wife may need, my children may need, whatever the church may need because this is corporate prayer. Father, heal, like, give your church the healing that it needs. When I pray for blueprint, I'm like, God, give us every elder, every staff, every member. Give us what we need. Give us our spiritual needs and our physical needs, God, so we can live in strength and not weak. Then he said, and give us our sins, forgive us our sins. You see this confession, this daily confession. Again, this is daily. He's not saying just do this for one moment. This is a daily, continual thing for prayers, a daily, continual exchange. He said, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone that's indebted to us. And what he's saying is, hey, listen, we confess our sins, and then we cross out the sins of those who sin against us. How much do we do that? We'll say, Father, forgive me, but then we know there's a brother or sister or a family member or somebody else in the body that we have not forgiven. Daily there should be a confession. Daily there should be a crossing out. Me and my brother was talking this week about, man, prayer and, and, and restoration relationships. I was like, man, God teaches me and I've learned that, man, like, God calls us to be restored just like he is. 
So not only should we forgive people, but we should re- seek to restore the relationship we had before they broke it when they sinned against us. Because we don't have the power to restore anything else in this world, but we do have power to restore relationships. So if God is a restorer and we bear his image, then what it is is he calling us to restore when it comes to relationship with one another. It's to restore that relationship, but a lot of times we don't want to restore the relationship. Why? Because we have yet to exchange that perspective for his. Kingdom come, not our kingdom, but your, your kingdom. Forgive us of our sins and we forgive others. That's not a, forgiveness is not a man idea. We didn't say, hey, God, let's, we created some called forgiveness. So when we sin against you, you can forgive us. No, no, no. That's a God idea. It's a God idea for God to say, hey, listen, forgive. Like, I will give you something before you do what you're supposed to do to receive it. It's the same as God has a foreknowledge. I'm taking y'all deeper. It's like God has a foreknowledge of things. He said before. He said with the foreknowledge before anything happened, God knew and God did. He foreknew you. So he did what he did and justified you before you was even born or manifested. So he foreknew you and he did what he did before you did what you're supposed to do. Here with forgiveness. Forgiveness is us giving to people before they do anything to receive it. That's not an idea. That's a God idea. Exchange. Prayer is a great exchange. Father, it's hard for me to forgive, so give me grace to forgive people even though they didn't repent, even though they didn't come and say they're sorry. Lord God, help me to live like you and look like you. So we seek to confess daily and cross out sins daily. And he said, and do not bring us into the time of trial. Another petition meaning, Father, Keep us safe from ourselves and from the world. Keep us safe. Because we know today, I know my sin nature is going to act up. I need you to keep me safe from myself. And I need you to keep me safe from the influence of the world. So if you look at just this Lord prayer, and I like to really call it the disciples prayer, because he's teaching the disciples how to pray. All through it is just an exchange. Father, you're holy, you're wonderful, there's no one like you. Your kadosh, your name, Hashem, your Hashem, your name, your attributes is holy, you're great, there's no quality like you, there's no power like you. Father, we need you, I need you, I love you, I thank you for this relationship. Then he goes into, Father, man, like your kingdom come, not ours. We don't want our kingdom to reign no more because when this kingdom reigns, there's hurt, there's pain, there's chaos, there's darkness. We exchange this kingdom for you. Father, we exchange, we just like you forgave us forgiveness, we give you forgiveness, we give our people forgiveness, so there's exchange. Look, God, like we want want you to have your way in this world, the great exchange. Again, but do you want to exchange it? Do you want to exchange? So the three key elements to prayer is one, being a a God-fearing posture, having a God-fearing posture. Fear means reverence in here. Fear, reverence, a a, a reverencing posture towards God. But it also means to have a a um, God-centered petition. But then also I come here with a God-believing persistence. In Luke chapter 11, 5, he says, also say to them, Suppose one of you has a friend. So at first he started talking about prayer. He gave him, taught him how to pray. And now he's going to share a story about one of the key elements to prayer. 
He said, also said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. And because of a friend of mine on the journey has come. Now, Paul's like, if you, in those times, if a friend came to your house and you had a guest and you didn't have food for him, you weren't able to take care of them, then it was, it was dishonoring to the fishermen. and they would, it would be a way of dishonoring them. And especially if I come to your house and you have no food, it's definitely dishonoring to me. But that's how it was. So you wanted, it was all about hospitality. You wanted to show hospitality. You wanted to. So he comes to his friend's house. He knocks on the door. Hey, man, I need three loaves of bread. His friend probably most of the time, if you think about a house, let's just look at about a house about this size, and somebody's knocking on the door, he's laying with his family. So if he gets up, he's waking up the children. He's waking up the wife. He yells like, no, no, no. Like, I'm not getting up. We sleep. Like, I turn off Netflix. Like, we, we in the bed. Like, I'm not coming to the door. But then God says that, it don't, it don't give it in full detail, but God starts talking about how, man, if this, if this friend didn't get up because he was just a friend, but he got up because this friend be, continued to be persistent, then he begins to go into talk about how much more persistent should God, should we persist when it comes to a God like the God that we have. It says, he said, the door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. I tell you, even though he won't get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his friend's shameless boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if his sons ask for fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? We need to have a God-believing persistence. One of the myths that we talk about, I hear a lot about, is that if you keep going to God over and over again about the same thing, that means you, have a, that means you doubt. That there's a, there's a, that's a sign of doubt within you. That's not true. Because I used to go to my mom and daddy for money all the time, and I didn't doubt that they had money. I'm I like, I know y'all got it. <laughs> but it's the same here with God. When I go to God about the same thing, I don't go because I doubt him. I go because I know you got it, God. I know you got that healing. Give it to me. And when he's showing it that God honors persistence. Matter of fact, persistence can be the evidence that what you are looking for is right behind that door. You only persist towards something that you believe is there. And as we see here, God honors it. He likes it. So much he said, if you ask, I'll give it to you. He said, if you seek, you'll find it. He said, if you knock at the door, the door will be open to you. Church people of God, saints, we must ask, seek, and knock with faith, knowing he will answer, for he is able and he is all-knowing. And the Abba Father is a father who answers his children and gives good gifts according to his will. Now, he may not give exactly what you want the way you think you should have it, but he will give you what you need, like a good father does. My children ask for a lot of stuff, like, no, you don't need that. You may even enjoy that candy over and over again, but it will make you sick. So out of my wisdom as a father, I hold back things because I want to give you good gifts that's going to help you and keep you healthy. So the same here with him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. 
We have to be content with his answers, knowing and trusting and believing that the God and Father who shaped, formed, and knitted us together in our mother's womb knows how much food we need to live. The same God knows how much light and water we need to create the vitamins and the minerals so we can be strong and healthy. He's the same God who knows how much joy and pain needed in our lives to produce the fruit and the contentment needed for worship and praise. He's the same God who knows how much love and loss needed in our lives to produce urgency and compassion for mission and for evangelism. The biggest question is, we know that he knows best for us, but do we believe he knows what's best for us? When they talk about him being a father of good gifts, he's looking at you and saying, oh, you look at all these earthly fathers and, and they give their sons cars and they leave them money and they leave them this. And they got They're evil. If they're evil and they can give gifts that bring you joy or good gifts, because good gifts bring you joy, amen. Y'all experience Christmas when you get that gift, you're like, oh, another tie. That's, that's dope. All right, some socks. <laughs> All right, I just bought you a $300 purse. Amen. Praise God. Yeah. You know what good gifts are because they bring you joy. So he said if someone who is evil or meaning in so many words, someone who is sinful who's broken, can give you good gifts, how much more do you think a holy God, a holy Father, when I give you a gift that brings you joy? It may not look the way you want it to look. I promise if God answered every prayer I had, my life would be totally different. It would not be filled with as much joy and peace that it is right now. Because I'd be like, do this and do that, do that. And it wouldn't be according to his will. But it says the Father gives good gifts. And then he mentions the Holy Spirit. So he's like, yo, no, no, like, I know you search for all that, but you know what the greatest gift is? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, the Holy Spirit is not just a gift, but it's a treasure. For in the Bible it says, it said, we have these, this, this treasure in these earthen vessels, which is, the, which is the power of God. It's in us to sit with us. He said, man, I gave you the best gift you could ever have, which is my spirit. And that spirit is a power and it's a person. You're asking for just healing. I can give you somebody who can not only heal you, but empower you to heal others. You're praying for relief from, from pain and from chaos, but I can give you, a, I can give you a, a, a power and a person who will sit with you in every chaos and will bring peace in the midst of it. Yahweh is able and willing to give us his spirit and his spirit. When it enters our life, it establishes and expands his kingdom through us. That's what say your kingdom come. How is that going to be accomplished? Not by us, but by the Holy Spirit. Back to the Lord's Prayer. So he mentions how to pray, but then he ends off 13 with a gift, the Spirit. Meaning that, yes, you pray, say your kingdom come, but it's going to be the Spirit in your life that's going to establish and expand that kingdom through you. Yes, you say, forgive, forgive me as I forgive others, but it's going to be the Holy Spirit in you that forgive others. You say, give us our daily bread, it's going to be the Holy Spirit that brings you to a place of trusting in the source of God. You say, lead me not to a temptation, but hey, guess who's going to lead you not into temptation? The Holy Spirit. Though sometimes it'll lead you into the wilderness where temptation is, amen, look at Jesus. But you say, lead us not into temptation. He said, but the Holy Spirit, the good gifts I've given you, is able to do that. So scratch that myth about you keep going to God means that you doubt. No, no, no. It just means that you're persistent in your prayers. And your persistent of prayers draw his presence. Think about mighty prophets of old. 
Well, God said, I'm going to do this. They kept going. In, but God, what if, what if he was going to tell Sodom Gomorrah? What if it was, what if it was uh, 100 that was, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was righteous? They said, well, then I won't do it. Then he comes back to him and pray again. And what if it was 50? What if it's 10? What if, God just said, man, why do you keep coming to me? You don't. No, he just said, he kept answering. He kept talking to his son because he's a father. He loves for us to ask him questions. If you're a parent, I'm sure you don't want your children going out to anybody else trying to figure out what the world is about, how to walk, how to date women, how to date men. No, you want them to come to you. How much more do you not think our Father who created us say, come to me? You can come as many times as you want to. Uh, yeah, you still sick and you want that to go away? I'm not, you can keep coming. I don't have no problem with that. I understand you. I know you. I love you. I expect that actually in our relationship. Persistent prayers draw his presence because like faith, persistence is evidence that whom we are praying for and praying to can supply it. So persistent prayer. Don't stop going to the Father in heaven for your cares, your worries, your burdens, and your confusions and your tensions. Be persistent in prayer, believing that he has and will change and can change according to his will. I like Philippians 4, 19, it said, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Jesus Christ. The key thing, it says, according to his riches. Our God is not poor. He's rich in all things. He's rich in healing. He's rich in grace. He's rich in mercy. He's rich in power. He's rich in healing. He said, but he does it according to his riches. So that means if it's done according to his riches, that means that he can do it. Amen? But not only is there three key elements to prayer, there's three effective actions to prayer that we see here. Three effective actions to prayer. One, ask specifically. Two, seek relentlessly. Three, knock faithfully. Because I gave you that element. You could think, okay, yeah, yeah, I know. Okay, I need to be... I need to be God-fearing, I need to be God-believing, I need to be, um, be God-centered when it comes to petitions, uh, persistence when it comes to my posture. But how do I do this on a daily basis? I think this first one we're afraid to do, ask specifically what's going on with you. Go to him specifically with your needs. Be specific about what it is that you need and what's going on with you. He already know it. You, can, you can't hold them back from God. There's no need to be around the bush with someone who knows everything already. As a church, we need to come together and ask specifically what's going on. And don't be afraid. God, we need healing. We come together and say we want healing and we agree on that thing. Why we need to be uh, specific? Thank you. It's because how do we know what we're agreeing on together as a church? If I'm not telling you specifically what I'm praying for. That's why he talks about the tongues. The issue with tongues is that he, for an interpreter, he said, because when nobody knows what's going on, if you're talking to an unknown tongue and this person don't understand, how can the body be edified? How can y'all even say amen or agree on anything if y'all don't understand one another? So the first way to understand one another is to specifically say what you need, and then y'all agree on it. Blueprint, we need healing. We need healing. We need healing. Father, give us healing. That's what made the Tower of Babel so amazing. God was like, okay, yeah, y'all disobedient, but y'all, y'all, y'all don't want to court. Y'all saying the same thing, believing the same thing, hoping for the same thing? He said, but I got to disperse them. So he gave them different languages so they can't communicate this. Was what, what one feeling, what one sticking to the other. So they can continue to build this one thing that they did opposite of what he called them to do. 
Ask specifically. Also seek relentlessly. Search for Yahweh, his will and our needs nonstop. Don't stop seeking out God. Daily seek him out. Daily search for him. God, I need to know your will. I need to know your plans. I need to know who you are. I need to know who I am. Seek him relentlessly. Don't stop every day. When you wake up, Father, I need you. Father, where are you? Father, show me this. God, I, I want your will. I want your kingdom to come every day. Seek him relentlessly and then knock faithfully. Don't knock on God's heart in his ears with petitions and then you don't and there's no, no faith to it. He said, without faith, it's impossible to please me. He said, those that come to me must come and know that I am who I am and I reward those who diligently seek me. We need to knock faithfully. Go to God about healing. Go to God about, man, like, like your struggle with sin and believe that he can give you the power to fight against it and to stand strong in the midst of it. Effective actions of prayer. This great exchange and understanding prayer being a great exchange is so powerful because we keep going to God with our hands full and we want to receive and we want to receive and we saying, Daddy, give me this, give me that, give me that. And he's like, but what are you going to give up? The first thing you can give up is your life. Following Jesus, have you, even let's go with salvation. Following Jesus, have you gave up your life? The disciples will say all the time, our lives are not our own. We compel, we're compelled, we're compelled by the love of Christ because we no longer live for ourselves. We gave up our life because he purchased it. There needs to be a great exchange in our prayers. But I do want to encourage you about prayer. Prayer is an opportunity for us to empty our bags. Yes, we're carrying all these bags. It's an opportunity for us to empty our bags, to give it over to him, for he's a God who cares about everything we're going through. But as we empty our bags and lay it before him, what are we going to leave his presence with? We're engaging the world that's on the daily giving us everything they have, everything they have, every message, every way, every will, everything, and it's soaking in our brains. And unless we take it over and give our hearts and our minds, our soul over to him and give an exchange, our kingdom for his and our will for his, they're going to continue to have this certain governance over our hearts and our minds, and it's going to continue to be fear in the body of Christ. They're going to continue to be weakness in the body of Christ. And I'm tired of seeing more and more believers, strong leaders falling short of glory of God and said, I'm leaving the faith. Oh, I don't believe in God's word no more. I don't trust Jesus no more. And I say, God, what is it? He said, they stop exchanging. They stopped exchanging. They kept holding on. Somewhere they stopped, they, stopped, they stopped giving up what is less valuable for what is valuable. And then they eventually find themselves like, well, I don't believe this no more. He said, hey, love me with all your heart, soul, your mind, and your strength. That's exchanging. I give you my mind. Give me your, give me your thoughts. I give you my perspective. Give me your perspective. I give you my thoughts on marriage. You give me yours. Exchange. Give me your heart. I give you my, my intentions and my, and my desires. They're wicked. They're, they're wicked. They're bogus. I can be powerful without it. I give you that. Now give me yours. Give me yours. Give me yours. Yours is better than mine. I give you my soul. I don't look right. My conscience don't look right. Transform it. God, I give it to you so you can transform it and give it back to me. 
We're talking about exchange, not a refund. Refund is like, no, God, you took some back from me. I want, I want that back. Like, I don't, this, is, this life with you is not working. Give me a refund. I want my life back. When he said, no, 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 there should be a continual exchange. And the greatest exchange we ever saw was the exchange of Jesus. The greatest exchange. And I don't mind being transparent about my life. Man, my life was so jacked up without Jesus. There was no hope for me. And that's why I kept, that's why I didn't go to him. I grew up in the church. I, saw, I was like, nobody does all these particular things I've done. Nobody, like, no, like, and deserve to be yours. Like, nah, I'm, like, th- this can't be right. Even to this day, sometimes I have to pray against regret and guilt and shame that comes to my mind. I'm like, you don't deserve to preach. You don't deserve to do this. You don't deserve that. Remember that one girl? Remember that one thing? Remember that one house? Remember, you don't deserve this. But then Jesus said, no, 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 you don't. But I exchange your, your imperfection. I exchange your unrighteousness for my righteousness. I took your dirty, sinful life, and I put it in mine, and I gave you my life. So now you can stand before the Father and talk to him regularly and not be afraid but love him and receive his love because now you, by grace, are saved. The revelation is about the great exchange at the end, the consummation of the full kingdom of God and his ways. We're going to exchange and burn up this whole whack world and give us a whole new world. He's going to exchange our tears for, for no more tears. He's going to exchange our sin and death for healing. He's going to exchange our loneliness for togetherness. And he starts right now. That's why we're together. But we have to pray together. Look at prayer as an exchange and not a refund. And it'll change everything in your life, trust me, because you're giving up your power for his. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, don't worry about what you did five minutes ago, last night, or whatever, right now. If you just ask, he said, if you ask, Seek and knock, so I'll answer. So you don't have to do flips. You don't have to pray for 12 hours. You don't have to, no, no, just ask God right now. God, come into my life and exchange and switch out everything. Sometimes you got to treat God like a, uh, what you call those, like a home decorator. Like somebody going to come in, you're like, hey, like me, I don't know how to do the inside decorating stuff. I'm just not good at that type of stuff. But I hire somebody, that's, that's dope. But imagine you, imagine you hiring someone to come in and say, hey, I don't like this house no more. I ain't really feeling that blanket. I had it since 2002. Um, I don't ever use that. So I just want you to come in, change all this up. Jesus comes to your life and begins to change. Yeah, that is kind of old. Let me get that out of there. Yeah, let me get that. And he comes in, he becomes your interior decorator. And all you have to do is allow him to have his way with your life. Through repentance, meaning I know I need to change. My prayer with my goddaughter, and when I go back home and I spend the rest of the day pursuing her and whatever, I kept praying, God, let her see that she needs to exchange her life. And even as believers, we keep believing that we don't have to exchange no more because Jesus gave us life. There's still some things we need to exchange on the daily. But if you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I'm going to give a time for us to pray. In that time of prayer, just ask God. 
You don't have to talk no particular way. Just be straight up with him and say, God, I ask you to come into my life and change things. If I give up my life for whatever it is you want, I exchange what I know, what I have, and what I want for what you know and what you have and what you want for me. And then right there, he will begin to work in your life. I didn't do nothing special when I came to the faith. I was an angry, mean, hateful dude. I ain't like, I wasn't afraid of nobody and I ain't like nobody. But all it was is one, one time of me saying, God, I don't want to be like this no more. This is not worth it. I'm not liking how I make people feel no more. I'm not liking how I make Dula feel no more. I'm not liking no more going home, acting like I'm tough out there, but then when I come home, I'm insecure. I don't like being out there with a pistol in my hand, but when I come home, I got a pillow in my hand because I'm afraid. Have your way, God. And that's all it was. Because I realized that I needed to exchange what I had in my hand for what he had that was better. As the worship team come up, because we're going to go into a time of communion. And communion is a, it's, it's pretty much like a memorial. It's us reminding ourselves as believers of the great personal work of Jesus Christ. And it's a reminder for you, even if you're not a believer, that Jesus Christ came to exchange your life for his. That's it. Everything else, Sunday service, all that, that's that's the whoop-de-woo that comes with it. It's about you living a life saying every day you wake up, I can't be this co-worker I need to be. I can't be this person I need to be. I can't walk in all that you call me to walk unless you help me. And when we take communion, all we're doing is saying, thank you, God. We're celebrating. We're not mourning because he rose from the grave. We, we remember, yeah, you died. They, they jacked you up. All oh, that was messed up. But you know what? You rose. And you come back for us. So we're celebrating that through communion. But the thing about it, if you're not a believer, you can't take communion because that's like you coming to the funeral of my mother and you don't know and you just want to eat the food that's there. And everybody looking like, who's this person? You just down there like, hey, pass me some. You just eating and they're like, who's this person? I don't know that person. That's why I say don't come to communion just eating, just doing it because you're hungry. No, like, no, you'll wish death upon yourself. This is a holy, sacred thing. These are people who mourning about their Savior, but celebrating at the same time about their risen King. So I encourage you, if you're not a believer, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven and earth, say, yo, don't partake. Because this is not a joke. This is sacred. But I do encourage you. You can next time. Amen. <laughs> if you ask him today to get... For, to, to, to exchange your life for his. So first, I want to pray for those in this room who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And I'm going to give you a moment to ask him. I don't want you to raise your hand. Because I'm going to be honest, to me, that means nothing. I want you to raise your heart to him. Because that's where it's going to start. It's going to start with just you and him. You going before him in, in prayer, letting him know, I need you. I don't like this. Or I do like this and I shouldn't like it. 
So let's pray. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.